Hello, everybody. Uh, hello again to those who were here yesterday and uh, to those who weren't here yesterday. Hello. Um, just a, a brief introduction to those who weren't here yesterday. Uh, I'm David Landrum. I'm the Director of Advocacy at the Evangelical Alliance. I'm from Liverpool. Tell by the accent. Um, I support Everton. Um, and part of my role at the Alliance is to help give evangelicals a voice in Parliament, in politics, in media, to government, across a whole range of different issues, and also to help God's people to develop as public leaders. The first one being about representing voice, usually on religious freedom issues, but it can be anything really. And the second one being about helping you where you are, wherever God's calling you, to have a voice. And to have a voice. If we have unity, if we have presence in society, we should have a voice. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad you agree with that. Uh, I talked yesterday uh, about the challenges that we face as Christians um, in our culture, in our society, and how we can uh, respond to these challenges. And much of what we covered was related to the view we have of what's happening, what we see, what's happening. And that's what I, uh, I was praying about, what message I should bring here. And I really felt a couple of weeks ago that the Lord was talking to me about um, perspective. What, is, what, what do we see? What's, what do we, what's before our eyes? What does it mean? Um, yeah, perspective. And perspective is about having the right focus. Um, we need a sense of perspective for things like clarity to know what's true and what's not true, to discern what's real and what's not real. Um, you know, magicians, they play with your perspective, don't they? And illusionists, and it's not real. Though. Clarity. We need proportion to understand the scale and depth of things. We need... Uh, it, it, it helps us with our priorities. If we've got a sense of perspective, we can discern what our priorities should be. Uh, and purpose as well. It's, it's helpful to understand what our role in the scheme of things is and what we should do. Um, and to have the wrong perspective can be dangerous. It can't. I mean, imagine trying to cross a road and you think a bus is kind of further away than it actually is. That's a dangerous perspective to have, isn't it? And the same can be true of our society, I think. We have the wrong perspective. Does anyone ever remember the comedy show, Father Ted? Do you ever remember Dougal, Father Dougal, who's the really stupid priest? And he's sitting there, he just doesn't understand the very basic things. And Father Ted's got a little toy cow, he's in a field, and he's saying, near, far away. Pointing to these other cows, and it's, it's literally like, he literally doesn't understand perspective or depth. Uh, I, I love that. I should have got that up as a as an image, as a prop for this. Um, in the Bible, God, it seems, frequently asks his people, what do you see? What do you see? So, the Lord showed Jeremiah an almond tree. Jeremiah was an, an almond tree uh, gardener, and probably a beekeeper as well. Uh, he showed him an almond tree in a boiling pot and asked him, what do you see? He asked Amos the same question about a plumb line, a piece of string, a rope, and a bowl of fruit. He asked the same question to Zechariah about a lampstand, a golden lamp, and a scroll. What do you see? What do you see? Sometimes it's obvious what, it's a, it's a lamp, it's a scroll. It's a little bit more than that sometimes, if we look a bit closer. He asked Ezekiel, do you see the wicked things that Israel is doing? Do you see? I think he often starts with this conversation with his prophets. 
let's talk about what you see because if you get what you see right we can we're in business we can we can do something uh, together in all these cases God was enlightening people to the truth of reality of the way things really are and the way things will be as well God through the Holy Spirit enables us to see what's ahead not just what's apparent that's a bit of an edge in this world wouldn't you say you know I, I still haven't got the um, I still don't know who's going to win the league it could be, it could, it, it could be Manchester City um, entirely unlikely but there we go but what we see is really important really important I love those um, spec savers ads on the telly uh, you know where you've got the vet who's doing artificial uh, recovery on, on a hat and, and the, what's it, the, the shepherd the old shepherd who shaves a sheepdog he thinks it's a sheep brilliant you know if we don't see things right you know good vision is really important it's vital and this is why it's important for each of us I think to con- consider how we cultivate a biblical worldview. You know, this is a term that we use a lot in, in, in the work that we do. A worldview is basically a way of seeing the world, uh, like, a, like a pair of spectacles. I carry these spectacles everywhere with me when I do talks. I never use them. I don't know why. There we go. A worldview is you put spectacles on to see the world through a certain set of lenses. Everybody does. Um, and developing an understanding of worldview is actually looking at the spectacles you're wearing because there are lots of people who want to put different spectacles on you so you see the world in a particular way with a particular set of values we need to put the, the God specs on if, if you like uh, that's what we need to do and there's a great book called Living at the Crossroads by Goheen and Bartholomew if you want to uh, check that out about developing a biblical worldview it seems to me that this whole issue of perspective the central challenge for us is that there's often a difference between what is a spiritual perspective and what we see humanly I had a, had a great chat with Vanessa yesterday about how God moves and shows us things and how we then scratch our heads and think what is going on here I've got no idea what this means and, but then it unfolds and, he, and, he, and he, um, he tells us what it's about things are not often as they seem not initially as they appear to humanise remember the story of the army of Israel coming out of the desert, crossing the Jordan and marching towards Jericho, uh, led by Joshua. And Joshua walks towards Jericho at the head of the army and he encounters what the Bible describes as an an angelic form, an angelic figure who described himself as the commander of the Lord's army, which was actually something that Joshua thought he was. So there's one thing he's correcting straight away. He thought that was his job. And in Joshua chapter 6 we read this. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. It didn't look that way, did it? It didn't look, I mean, it looked like an impregnable fortress totally sealed up like you know the walls of these cities were were huge but sure enough as the people of God believed what God was telling them and obeyed the instructions the walls of Jericho fell and Israel advanced and what does this teach us well a few things come to mind 
we should not always accept the way things appear or are presented to us we should focus on the things of God and filter the things of the world filter the things of the world as it says in Proverbs we should not lean on our own understanding but in all our ways acknowledge him it also shows us that regardless of what we see God does have a plan Mike mentioned this this morning God has a plan God has a plan and he will reveal it to us as we walk in obedience with him obedience it seems is better than sacrifice obedience you know Joshua could have just took the army and charged at Jericho but God didn't want him to do that he wanted him to march around blow trumpets and stuff like that which is just bizarre but there we go that's what God wanted that was what uh, that was how he saw the, the, the walls falling the problem we have I think particularly as English people by the way I'll, I'll let the Brazilians out on this one is we're profoundly practical aren't we I think we're, we're impeded by our practicality sometimes uh, I, don't, I don't know what this is in our culture we, we tend to just see logically what the solution should be obviously and then walk towards that and try and do that so moving in the things of the spirit I don't think they actually come easy culturally to English people I really don't and I say that as a scouser which is kind of semi-English if you know what I mean a favourite saying of my dad's is when he's, whenever he's told anything my dad says I believe it when I see it you know it's kind of like cynical I believe it when I see it you know when the challenge to us as the people of God is you know it could be the other way around you know I'll see it when I believe it um, in 2 Kings we read the story of about the king of Aram this mighty warrior had this huge army and he was sick of the prophet Elisha spying on him and listening to his words and his plans so he finds out where he is and he sends his mob after him he sends the army after him the whole army for this one prophet and um, he surrounds him and it says here when the servant of the man of God got up and went out uh, the next morning an army of, with horses and chariots had surrounded the city oh no my lord what shall we do the servant asked don't be afraid the prophet answered those who are with us are more than those who are with them and Elisha prayed open his eyes lord so that, that he may see then the lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around all around and it's funny when you read that story on he actually blinded the Arameans and led them off it's all about vision this what you see what can we learn from this well that we should not always accept what our eyes are telling us and that there's a spiritual dimension to our lives in which God reigns supreme God reigns in the spiritual God reigns in the spiritual yes there's warfare but it's a mopping up exercise the war has been won the war has been won it's a mopping up exercise that we're part of now and maybe for some of us you know we face things in our lives don't we that seem insurmountable or overwhelming they, they present to us like this um, and I think it would be good for us I want to pray at the end it would be good for us to ask God for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to show us the way things really are and what we should do the way things really are and what we should do and you know 
going back to some of the issues we talked about yesterday with our culture how do you see the world that we're living in how do you see it you know in general terms how do you see the world it's an important question because it will affect how you respond to and how you live in this world in Matthew 14 we read this it says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven he replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And I just want to say to you, you know, what signs of the times do you see? I, I work in politics, and you know, politics is a place of perpetual crisis. It really is. Think about it. Democracy is really messy. You know, authoritarian dictatorships are much easier. You know, it's, it's, it's less trouble. But think about it. As soon as a government's elected, from that very moment, their popularity starts falling and they are managing decline until they're kicked out. That's life. And it's tough. And it's brutal. You know, and there's constantly one crisis, like a bus coming one after the other, one crisis after another. And it's a world in which the truth is bent to breaking point and sometimes beyond that. Uh, do you re remember the American politician Donald Rumsfeld when he started talking about um, the known unknowns and he was ridiculed for it but I actually think it's, it's quite laudable. He was actually saying there's loads of things we don't know uh, and we don't want to hear that from our political leaders but I do want to hear that because that's the reality that we face. There's lots of things we just don't know. I wish we had more politicians that just said, I don't know. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> that would be really helpful. I recall Kenneth Clark once being grilled when he, he'd, been, he, he, he'd been grilled about whether he misled Parliament and in one of his statements, his response was that his words had not fully aligned with the actuality. <laughs> I, just, I just love that. I, I didn't even know there was an actuality. I, I, it, that's probably not even a French word. Uh, he's, he's mangled it. And it reminds me of what John Milton said about uh, politics. Uh, the poet, he said, there is no art more cankered and slubbered with apparising pedantry than the art of policy. You know, it's like, it, it, it does that to you. It, it, it presents you uh, with, a, with a different version of reality. And, and through politics and the media today, we face a battery of misrepresentations of the way things are and the way things are going to be. And yesterday I talked a little bit about uh, how our own culture we're constantly presented with a secular or neo-pagan world view, view of the world and constantly told that a new, a new normal has arrived that's fairer and more equal and we live, in, we live in a better age and we're better than the people that went before us. This is progress by the way. We're better people. It's called chronological snobbery. And we live, in a, we live in an age in which everything from our views to values to identity, even science, nature, biology, is subject to our own consumer choice. We can choose what we want to be, no matter what. And we're free to be the best person we can be, etc. Uh, well, what if your name's Benito Mussolini? I don't really want him to be the best Benito Mussolini he can be. Anyway, 
But by what you see in the media, you think that this vision was obvious and accepted and really popular and this is the way things are. But elections, polling, research shows that it's not. This is not the way people view and value the world. It really isn't. And all the sort of troubles we've had in politics and we're having now all over the Western world are a sort of corrective on all of that stuff, I think. You know, a, a sort of a refocusing of a reality. And to be fair, it's not easy to discern what's happening in this world because, you know, you think of electronic communication, internet, social media, TV, we are bombarded 24-7 with messages and counter-messages and sets of values that we're told are normal and appealing and we should have and we could have uh, constantly bombarded to reframe our thinking so we spend our money on stuff so we reset things so we change our minds I was told recently that the advertising industry is apparently the biggest industry on earth bigger than the arms industry okay the advertising it spends more money than any other industry in the world because it works because it's powerful and because if you can convince people to do this and not that and buy this and not that you're in business you're in business and we talked yesterday about the social media stuff and how politicised and how biased it is and how fake news is actually real it's a reality uh, you know in response to fake news we have this thing now called fact checking you know we have fact checking sites and fact checking organisations but now we've got people who check the fact checking sites because the fact checking sites are politically skewed and politically bad so who's going to check the fact checking sites who are checking the fact checking sites I mean where do you go with this stuff what is happening here we are being relentlessly assailed with marketing ideological agendas, political propaganda and I'm not saying it's, any, it's some kind of unified conspiracy uh, but some kind of deliberate strategy to pull the wool over our eyes. Humanly speaking, that's not possible. I don't think it's possible. But spiritually, think about it. This kind of blitz on our senses and what we see and what we perceive, it's a very real objective of the Father of Lies. A very real objective. When you're so bombarded with stuff that you can't see the wood for the trees, to use a, a, a phrase, you are you're in a vulnerable place and it's my experience that whenever we see chaos and disorder and anxiety it's not of God you know we worship the God of order and the God of peace and the God of freedom and clarity he's the God of light not darkness he doesn't, he doesn't bring fog you know so just to recap on a few things that we're seeing in our culture uh, at the moment and we're being presented with perceptions Secularism, this secular society, this atheist society, it's never been so powerful, it's never been so endemic, but in reality it's never been so weak and it's never been so vulnerable. It doesn't work. It's not like Ron Seal, it doesn't do what it says on the tin. People know it, we're wired spiritually. You can't live this life and we know it and more and more people are knowing it. I was talking to Gary yesterday about the fact that my parents' generation are actually a very odd generation in human history. They're, they're the sort of 
post-war baby boom generation that were born in the middle of the secular century grew up with atheist values and atheist presuppositions their parents had faith my grandmothers had faith they had no faith and now their son has faith they're a blip we live in an unusual blip in, in, in the sort of in the faith world so secularism is rolling back all over the world the future is far more religious than secularist and Christianity well nominal Christianity is fading fast praise the Lord oh my soul all that is within me you know if church buildings are not honouring God and holding to his word why shouldn't they sell carpets that's a, that's, a, that's a valuable service you're providing to the community. People need carpets. I'm serious. I'm serious. The church is not declining. We're seeing church growth at the evangelical lines in the UK. Never mind Brazil and Africa and Asia and all these places. It's happening in the UK. And the truth is that regardless of what the BBC might present to you, might tell you, uh, reports of God's death are greatly exaggerated except God's death and resurrection of course that's like we, we want to hear about that one and contrary to what's being peddled uh, by our secular and hostile or illiterate media and politics the kingdom is coming it can't be stopped and the king is coming the king is coming what a wonderful thought that is so where's our nation heading? What do you see? On the surface of things, if you step back and if you look at the UK, you'd think, flipping heck, where are we going here? You know, where, where, where's the map? Where's the road map for this lot? It looks pretty grim on all sorts of levels and pretty dire if you, if you believe most of the news. My friend, Pastor Agu Areku, is the head of the uh, RCCG. It's the fastest growing church in the UK. It's a Nigerian-based church from Jesus House in, in, in London they're planting a church a week they've been planting a church a week for like ages in the UK and they're, oh, they're amazing it's an amazing church I think I'm an inner Nigerian you know I think, I think I, inner Nigerian um, he has a vision for the UK he, he has a vision that God who honours those who honour him is returning the, the blessing I mean you get that he really believes this and we've got Koreans now coming to Wales on mission. We've got Brazilians all over the UK. And, and people, from all, people from all over the world who receive the gospel from this little rock off the coast of the European continent coming back and bringing the blessing back. Oh, I'm so excited by this. I'm so humbled by this. God is certainly not finished with this nation. I can tell you that right now. We're in a very, very exciting time. You know? wonderful, wonderful faith is the bridge between seeing and believing faith is that bridge the, the preacher, uh, Smith Wigglesworth who was quite a character apparently used to punch people and say receive the Holy Spirit um, yeah, that's interesting, he once said this I'm not moved by what I see or what I hear, I'm only moved by what I believe because he understood that you're going to be constantly presented with uh, misperceptions of the way things are to wrong foot you. And he understood that the enemy operates through lies that bring fear. Lies that bring fear. Misrepresentations that frighten you. Frighten you. 
lose our peace, we lose our perspective. And that's the point when we start making the wrong decisions. And then at some point down the line, God has to take us back um, to the place where we, we can make the right decisions. And when we lose our peace, we react rather than respond. And often it's times when we lose our peace that the enemy starts pushing us, I've found, to, to make decisions that could be the wrong decisions. So what do we do? Jesus repeatedly commanded us not to worry because worry is faith in fear. Worry is faith in another kingdom. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up when we find ourselves worrying, but as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, we should get better at worrying less and at resetting our perspective button, pressing the reset button on ourselves. This week I had a trauma. I crashed my car. Right. No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad crash. I was going into a car park space in a, a train station car park and I, I backed up into a car I, that I think was too close to me, by the way. <laughs> and bust the light on the back of mine and dinted the bumper or something. Like, God, I was like, oh, no, no. You know, what, what do you need when you're going into work in the morning? So we took, changed each other's details and I got on the train. I was sitting on the train feeling really sorry for myself and upset and cheesed off. And then I received a text from a good friend of mine uh, who's just discovered that his teenage daughter has leukemia. And I sat there on the train and I thought, you know what? It's only a rear brake light. It doesn't really matter in the scheme of things. Uh, I need to reset my perspective. I need to get a sense of perspective these momentary troubles are not really bad and I think when you step back and look at Christians in the UK we are under pressure we are under pressure we're going to feel the heat trust me <laughs> if you believe in the Bible you're going to feel the heat but in relation to the challenges that we uh, that may, we may be facing here from secularism and liberalism and stuff consider what our brothers and sisters are dealing with in places like India China Pakistan, Iran, Nigeria. Puts it into perspective, doesn't it? What we're experiencing in the UK, it's a piece of cake. It really is. I mean, get a grip. As my dad would say. Get a grip. Get a handle on it, lad. <laughs> so, how do we resist the temptation to dramatise or minimise? You know, blow things up and shrink things down. God wants to have God wants us to have a balance. Yesterday I talked about the fact that I tend to frame a lot of my talks with a three-point framing uh, around politics and our culture and stuff, three perspective points. Number one is things are probably worse than you think they are. That's cheerful, isn't it? You know? Number two is things are probably going to get even worse before they get any better. That's, I think, a reality. And number three, things are ne never as bad as they seem with Jesus. He's got a plan. He is at work. He's up to stuff all around us. You are part of God's plan. God's got a plan A. He hasn't got a plan B. He doesn't need one. He doesn't need a plan B. Wouldn't even enter his mind. Turn to the person next to you and say, You are plan A. Okay. Now turn to them again and say, If I was God, I wouldn't use you. you know? <laughs> That's just the point, isn't it? He takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He uses us all. I mean, 
incredible. And you know, we've got to remember this. Our God works to a positive agenda for our good and he's not worried or phased, not even about Brexit. God didn't lose one minute of sleep. He doesn't sleep anyway. God's not phased by this stuff. Give me a break. We live in an era of crisis and catastrophizing. This is the word that keeps coming through, uh, particularly on Twitter. Catastrophization of everything. Everything is a catastrophe. Climate change, the economy, the coronavirus, or Liverpool winning the league. Um, everything's framed as the end of the world, but it's not. Well, maybe, maybe that last one it, it comes, comes close. Comes close to it. I will, I'm actually booking my holidays at May to be out of the country and out of Wi-Fi. That's how serious it is for me. <laughs> so, um, but we need, to, we need to focus on our vision, get things right. How do we do this? Here's a few suggestions. In Isaiah 26 we read, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind, uh, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And this can be translated as those whose minds are fixed on you fastened on you the first thing we need to do is take our eyes off the thing and set our eyes on God set our eyes on God so how do you see God how, you know, what's your view of God um, as many biblical figures found seeing a holy almighty God can be a terrifying thing Isaiah 6 you know, Isaiah says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the robe, the train of his robe filled the temple, and it freaked him out. And it was his, I love his response, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Wow. When you see God, it puts things into perspective in, in a quite a, a brutal way sometimes. This is who you are. This is who you are. But because of Jesus, this almighty God, this consuming fire, this irresistible, immeasurable power is a loving, doting, wonderful father to us. A father who has a million good thoughts of good for us, for each one of us, every day. It, the Bible says he has thoughts of good for us, as many as the sand on the seashore, every day. That's God. That's the God I see. Father who looks for opportunities to delight and bless us, a Father who is approachable, and a Father who's got a great sense of humour as well. So, how do you see yourself? Here's a perspective question. Some Christians have a self-image that's massively overblown. I could list them here now, but most people, I think, don't really understand that they are the righteousness of God in Christ that when God looks at them he sees Jesus it is finished, done deal you're an heir you're a son and daughter of the living God you know, that's why you know, we're God's workmanship the Bible says the word, the word workmanship is his poema we're his poem I mean, what a beautiful way to describe anything we're his treasured masterpiece the apple of his eye and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit the Paracletos we have power. You know, after a lifetime of having our self-image shaped by people and by the pressures of this fallen world, when we see God, the, when we see ourselves the way God sees us, it's a game changer. You know, all the education I went through, 
I think a, a fair proportion of it was about unlearning. Unlearning what this world had taught me, had shown me, and resetting my perspective of myself, of others, of the world that I live in. Um, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Remember the angel of God, when the angel of God appeared to Gideon. Gideon. I love Gideon. It's one of my favourite characters in, in, in the Bible. He was hiding in a wine vat, <laughs> threshing wheat, because he was terrified. Yeah? This is a guy who said, I am the least of the least clan of the least tribe in Israel, a subjugated nation. I mean, he's got a self-image problem going on here, hasn't he, really? And what does God say? So the angel of the Lord comes to him and goes, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I bet you any money he went. <laughs> you what? You know, me, me. But God sees more of us than we do. He knows us better than we know us. And when we see God for who he is, we begin to see ourselves right. And we not only know who we are, but we know whose we are. That's so important. When we turn our eyes to him, it's about turning our gaze to him. That's when our perspective gets uh, reset. It's, now that's about human. It's a, it's a humbling thing to do. You humble yourself to look at God and say, who am I, what and all? take that Nebuchadnezzar this uh, crazy king in the Bible I mean he was, he was proper off his head Nebuchadnezzar wasn't he he was, like, he was like a crazy tyrant he thought he was God he thought he'd set up a big statue of himself and be worshipped so God made him live like an animal for years for years he lived in the fields he, he was reduced to nothing and it says that when he turned his eyes to heaven he was restored and listen to this, what he says. This is, this is the shift in perspective that Nebuchadnezzar had. He prayed this. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold his hand back or say to him, what have you done? That's the most powerful man on the earth basically saying God this is the God of heaven this is the God of Israel and remember what God said to Daniel uh, oh greatly beloved fear not peace be to you be strong yes be strong what a situation God is saying the same thing to you right now in whatever situation you're in and he can say it because Jesus promised us a unique gift Jesus said peace I leave with you this is what he left with us. He sent the Holy Spirit, but what he left with us was peace. Shalom. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them uh, be afraid. And when we have this peace, it, it, when in times of shaking in our culture, this experience of an earthquake, when we've got peace in the midst of it, it's probably the most powerful witness we can have to Jesus. When everyone else is freaking out, when we're not, that's amazing, isn't it? It's powerful. Problem is, we struggle with the pressures of life and things come upon us. And uh, I've been inspired over the years by a friend of mine called Jonathan Oliady. He's a pastor in London. And he's, he's so peaceful, he's almost horizontal. 
You know, you know one of these people, like, if a missile hit, hit the building, he'd just go, oh, missile. You know, but, and I said, how do you, do, how do you, how do you deal with stuff? Because, you know, pastors, I wouldn't want to be a pastor, deal with the things they deal with. And he said, I don't do anything without God's peace. If I lose God's peace, I stop whatever I'm doing until I get it back. I know that's tough, and I know that's hard in this, the rough and tumble of life, but what a great discipline, I think. It's inspired me to not, um, you know, to have their own perspective and run off with it. Personally, over the years, I've tended to just wade into prayer with God. I'll get up in the morning, I'm half asleep, I'm not a morning person, and I just start praying, you know, the list, oh Lord, can you, uh, yeah, can you help me with this? Because, you know, and, and I'm off, and, and I'm waiting for my bullet points. It's not really the way to approach God, is it? Uh, some worship. Set your heart right before God. And then we get to pray in the right way, don't we? Our, our prayers are lined up with His will. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else is like that, but it's certainly me. Yeah. Coffee helps. Yeah. Importantly, we need this peace to know the truth. In uh, Philippians 4, Paul says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in a moment, I'd like us to pray for the peace of God that passes understanding, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't stack up with what we're being presented with, with the perceptions around us. That's God's peace. We need that to guard our hearts uh, so that each one of us can soberly and calmly assess what is going on. There's another great um, clip that I could have got from Father Ted. I should, have, I should have thought this one. Where the priests, the Irish priests, I don't know if you've seen it, it's a comedy show. They're lost in uh, Dublin, Ireland's largest lingerie section. Uh, so all these priests are saying, we've got to get out of here. It's going to be a scandal if we're caught in here. So... And, and it's like an escape. It becomes an escape movie. They're trying to, they're trying to get through the, the corset section and find a way out. And Dougal turns at some one point to one of these other priests and he says, uh, uh, what's going on? And the priest goes, well, we're going to try and make it to the door over there. And Dougal turns and goes, no, just generally. You know, I, and I love that. I, and I love that because I think, that's, I think that's a wonderful prayer that we should ask God. What's going on? generally here, you know because there are so many known unknowns um, it would be good to, to have a little bit of a knowledge about what's happening seeing things the right way the Bible tells us that God reveals his will to us when we stop dancing to the tune of the world hmm. in Romans 13 Paul writes do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing and perfect will. This is tough. This is tough particularly now. But as I, I quoted uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton yesterday, and I just love this quote, he said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. A dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Being a follower of Jesus Christ 
being rooted in his word, led by his spirit in a fallen world, means you are a countercultural, revolutionary, dangerous, radical. You are. That's who you are. You are very dangerous people. I can tell by looking at some of you. <laughs> and it takes courage to live this countercultural life, to swim against the tide. It takes resilience. But we have a responsibility to do it. We have a responsibility to the truths of God generation to generation. John Wesley once said that one, what one generation tolerates, the next will embrace. What one generation tolerates, the next will embrace. And we, we're kind of living with that in many ways in our own culture. Um, I hope that this message has made sense to you and been helpful in some way. Um, I want to encourage you to seek God's perspective. And just to recap here, the way we see things is important, not because things are not least because things, things are not what they seem quite often not as they appear especially in a world of lies and misinformation and to keep things in proportion we need an occasional reset on the God perspective on things we need to not rely on our own understanding and we need, we need peace peace is, peace is the gold at this moment it's the gold it's the thing that the world thinks it's got peace and hope but it hasn't it's just got false hope and it's got temporary peace we need to see God right to see ourselves right to see the world right so I wonder uh, Mike if we can do if we can pray for each other uh, that in the words of Ephesians 1 that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he's called us the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe um, that we would see what God sees and we would live in the light of that and receive more and more of his kingdom thank you shall I pray? ok, thank you, let's pray yeah. open the eyes of our hearts Lord open the eyes of our hearts Lord help us Lord God to see afresh what you see the way you see things how things really are help us Lord God each one of us here whatever we're dealing with different challenges and different issues help us Lord God to filter out the things of the world and focus on the things of God Holy Spirit Holy Spirit Counselors, counselors. Lord, I want to pray the peace of God on each one of us here. The shalom peace of God. Jesus, this is your promise. This is your gift. And we receive it gladly with thanks. Give us the peace of God that we might see things clearly. Help us to obey you and to to not conform to the pattern of this world so that we can know what to do and give us courage Lord God to do what you're calling us to do to say what you're calling us to say and to live in the way that you're calling us to live and let everything Lord God glorify your name and may the joy of the Lord be our strength Amen Amen Thank you